Dr. Martin Burroughs locked his office for the night. It had been a long day, and he was eager for it to be over. Walking the ten or so paces that he always took to his car, he drove through the town of Cranefield towards a small church on the outskirts of town. He had made the drive a lot recently. In fact, there had not been an evening in the past couple of months or so that he had not made the drive. It was such a routine for him that the lights were still on at the church when he arrived, the glow sending strange washes of colour through the graveyard from the tall stained glass windows. As he stepped out of his car, he couldn't help but notice the chill in the air. It was bitingly cold. He wrapped his coat around him tightly and crossed the bridge that acted as an entrance to the churchyard, the babbling stream beneath being another sound Burroughs was very used to at this point. He was welcomed in by Reverend Green, who greeted him and closed the door behind them both. By the time the door creaked open again, the chill had had time to sink into the surrounding area. The grass between the graves, as well as the graves themselves, were coated in a thick layer of frost. If Martin had been paying attention at all, he might have thought they looked like they had been caught in a month of cold, not the twenty or so minutes he had been away. But he didn't notice. His plumes of frozen breath barely registered as he hugged himself in his thick coat and walked back to his car across the bridge. As he made his way over to it, the doctor noticed for the first time that something was off. There was not a lot of sound at this time of night that could be heard over the gurgling stream, but, well, nothing. Not a single bird singing or a rustle in the bushes. It unsettled the doctor and made him pause as he crossed the road. The eerie peacefulness was broken suddenly as a beam of light lit up the lane around him. It rushed towards him as the sound of a deafening roar filled his ears and made his head spin. He dashed to his car and scrambled to wrench the door open. His hands burned on the frozen metal of the handle as the door refused to budge in his grasp. There was a painful tug around his neck. The light and sound passed him by. And the whole world started to spin. The last thing that Dr. Burroughs could make out before everything faded to black was the sight of his body. Still stood a few feet away, one hand still tightly gripping the car door handle. The body stood this way for a moment or two before crumpling to the ground, the ragged stump of its neck dripping blood that froze almost immediately. The body was found the next day by those attending the morning service, and while many of those that saw the remains of Dr. Burroughs were understandably in shock, they all had the same question in mind. Where? Where did his head go? We 
open up in 1944 at the HMS Anderson base in Colombo, Salon. It is very, very hot. The sun is baking the greens around the base. And we open up to a group of uh, young women uh, who sort of pull up in formation wearing uh, sort of the workout gear. They've uh, not been, they're not in uniform at the moment, but you can tell straight away by looking at them that they are a group of wrens uh, and they've just all finished up a run. And one of these wrens, uh, sort of young looking woman with uh, uh, dark curly hair, uh, turns to one of her comrades and says, "Are you uh, are you joining us for lunch, Bright?" Uh, oh, I, I I can't. Um, I have a dentist appointment. She gives you a, a sort of suspicious look, um, narrows her eyes and says, "Hi, right. what's his name? This handsome young dentist. This is the third time you've been to see him in the last two weeks." There isn't, honestly, Murphy, I have a loose filling. Oh, yeah, sure. She sort of looks to the other friends who all sort of join her in a bit of, uh, you know, friendly, friendly jabbing at you. And she says, uh, sure, Bright, you can feel free to keep them all to yourself then. Don't mind me, we'll off, be all off to lunch. And uh, we cut there to the interior of a dentist's office in Salon. And we see Vera in the dentist chair. And the dentist, who's a sort of bit getting on a bit uh, dentist at this point, he uh, sort of leans back in his chair after inspecting Vera's mouth and says, Miss Bright, your filling is secure. It's fine. Just as solid as Monday and just as solid as when I, I put it in last week. Look, feel this. And he takes a, one of his little tools and he sort of leans in and he sort of taps away at your filling. He says, look, no movement at all. And as he's uh, prodding around um, in Vera's mouth, you see a door behind the dentist opens and his assistant walks in. It's a very, very beautiful young woman, uh, sort, of dark, uh, sort of tan skin, dark, dark brown hair. Um, we recognize her as Hetty straight away. And Vera sees her as well. Vera's face contorts into, or tries to contort into a smile, but her mouth is currently full of fingers and metal dentist implements. Not a good, not a good time for a meet cute, probably. Not really. Uh, and the dentist uh, turns around to his assistant and says, "Miss Van Buren, um, would you please uh, see Miss Bright out?" And Hetty gets your coat from a nearby hand and hands it to you as all the various things are taken out of your mouth and you're allowed to sit back up. Um, and she gives you your coat. It's a very light coat. It's salon, it's very hot. Um, and as you're sort of walking down the corridor, um, the door closes. And then once it's closed and you're a bit more out of earshot from the dentist, uh, Hetty sort of says to you, Miss Bright, we simply must stop meeting like this. We could meet some other way as Vera glances at her sort of out of the corner of her eyes and you glancing catch her glancing as well but she sort of uh, looks away and stands sort of straight straightens up against this um, if you're worried about your filling coming loose uh, I would suggest perhaps sticking to some softer foods uh, I've been reading up on it uh, recently 
it's the first thing first of march tomorrow um have you had kira bath before and uh uh vera's face tries not to erupt into a grin as uh, a blush starts sort of creeping up onto her ears as they and walk off down the corridor a little while after this six months later you are standing um so to attention at uh, in front of lieutenant oakland who's uh, your commanding officer in salon uh, and he's sitting behind his desk at the moment and he you've been ushered in to his office and lieutenant oakland uh does he does have time to talk to people normally he's genuinely a fairly jovial commander which is perhaps a bit rare in the British Army, uh, especially he's able to talk with people. Um, but when you come into his office, there's very much a sense of he has something to say to you and he's not here to chat. I'm not usually summoned. No, you're not office. usually summoned, no. He uh, says very briskly, you've been reassigned, right? You've been rotated back to Britain. There's a boat leaving for home on the 16th, and you will be on it. And Vera's face drops. Uh, eyes go wide in shock. Sir, my assignment was just renewed for six more months. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good work here. I'm, I'm part of the team. I, I fit in. Perhaps a little too well. I have to keep this base ticking over nicely, right? You understand? And to achieve that, I'm perfectly happy to overlook many things. But if once they start affecting the morale of the base, I simply must put an end to it. Honestly, Bright, I'm doing you a favour. You'll come to recognise this, I'm sure, in the future. You mustn't get too attached with your life here. A bit of time back home and your head will be straightened out. Mark my words. Sir... I will have no arguments, Bright. The paperwork has been filed. It has been decided. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Will that be all, sir? Dismissed. And she turns and woodenly makes her way out of the door. Um, and as it closes behind her, you can sort of see her face is sort of pale and sickened. And before you leave, you have time, you know that you have a short, short amount of time to see Hetty before you go. Maybe not as long as you would have ever wanted. Is there anything that Vera does when you see Hetty for the last time? what you believe is going to be the last time. I think they find an excuse to go on a trip up the coast for a couple of days. There's uh, some sort of transport truck that needs to be taken up, some sort of equipment um, that needs to be taken up to another base, perhaps. And... Vera sort of manages to somehow get herself um, uh, involved with with driving that truck, and um, 
there is a passenger seat. And she and Hetty spend a couple of days sort of slowly making their way up the coast um, in a bit of a road trip. You have this trip and you know you know that you're likely to get a little bit of flack for this but you're already being sent home yeah what what are they going to do what are they going to do <laughs> and you're sent home but as fate would have it this isn't the last time you see Hetty. many years have passed since then now you and Hetty live together you have a life together. You have birds together. Recently, very, very recently, Hetty was given a window into the world that you now know. It was a very rude awakening into reality. And Vera decided instead of making some sort of excuse, instead of excusing away everything that had happened previously, you decided to tell Hetty everything and let her in on your world. And I'm not going to make any decisions here. How does that conversation go? Uh, I think Vera is definitely trying to keep a fairly upbeat and jovial sort of attitude towards it all, despite what Hetty just sort of went through and despite the realities that she knows um, face them. But it will be um, once they have a, a, a moment. Um, you remember your grandmother telling us about the um the experiences she had as a young woman with um the Kalu uh, Kamaraya Betty. I I I guess I I mean we all just assume that when she said that she didn't in fact mean that. Maybe it was just some tall, dark, handsome stranger she had a encounter with. Are you saying that my grandmother was telling the truth? She met some incubus-like thing. Well, I, I don't. I wasn't there. Neither of us was there. We can't know what she's been through um, in her uh, more active years. Um, there was the the story your your uncle had of um, um, uh, loads of stories uh, of the. Um, uh, Amanusa Loka. The, 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 there was a whole underworld of demons um, that he, he could describe in, in vivid detail. Yeah, I remember he talked about the, the those bareheaded demon, the Maha Sona. Uh, Vera, are you trying to tell me that this is real? All of All of this is... I don't know about all of it. 
as a a learned as, as as somebody who had considered themselves a learned person i had discounted almost entirely the the stories and myths from folklore there are just as many in in britain as there are um, in ceylon and um, in other parts of the world everywhere has their own monsters lurking under the bed but I'm not so sure anymore. Well, no, I, I am sure now that not all of them are just stories designed to frighten children. Okay. Um, and uh, she... Uh, you've seen this with Hattie before. She isn't somebody to panic. Uh, she, unless she's you know, being chased, that's the only time she'll probably panic. She, if she's given a lot of information that would overwhelm somebody else, she has done this before where she just goes quiet. Just like she takes a breath. She thinks. And then she, every time she's seen her do this, she then comes out with the most pertinent question, the thing which needs to be answered to move forward. And she does as she turns away from you. Then when she turns back around, she says, are you safe? I, I don't know. I, most of the time, but if I'm not safe, then most other people aren't safe either. Me not knowing about this wouldn't make me safer. You're right. You're right. Of course you are. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm really Why? sorry. Why? Because I've, this is part of my life, Hetty. And yes, this sort of thing is the work that we're doing at Thorn is specifically to try and keep this information from the public for a variety of reasons, but you're not the public. Where are you when you're telling her all of this? Have you taken her back to Thorn Investigations? I think that's what you said last time. You're going to take her back there. But Yeah, yeah, that was our... Like we know that that place is safe. Safe. And she... She listens to you. And she just shakes her head and sighs and says... For somebody so smart, you can be very stupid sometimes. 
you don't have to apologize to me. You're looking after me. You've always looked after me. Well, I, I, I try, but... And she just, try, she just, she just stops you. She just stops you and kisses you. Um, I embrace her, and after we break the kiss, I'm just holding her with my chin probably resting on the top of her head. <laughs> and she eventually leans back and just, okay, so, um, right. What do we need to do now? And I'm going to leave it up to you. We'll um, cycle forward to see what happens with everyone else before we start our new mystery. Um, but what happens with Vera and Hetty after after this? Your apartment was attacked. Um, the people didn't get in, but Hetty was... Uh, no, your apartment wasn't attacked. Sorry, Hetty's work was attacked. Uh, people from for investigations have been killed. But you know that people know where Hetty works, people know where you both live. Uh, I think that... I think it would be best if you didn't go back to work, at least for a couple of days, while we try and sort things out. There are cots here. Uh, I suggest we we sleep in one of the, the unused rooms or offices here for a couple of days. Okay, well, that's fine. I'll um, I'll call my work and say that I'm uh, well, well, my my boss is kind, but he's he's fairly dim. So I'll just tell him that the the people dying outside was uh, it it affected me too much, and I can't possibly be in work at the moment. We can um, we could actually provide some um, medical documentation if you needed a doctor's note or um anything like that we we have the capability well okay well yes let's um let's sort something out so i can uh stay here and um try to be safe we're gonna be fine i know i know she sort of squeezes your hand i think she she can probably tell that Vera doesn't necessarily believe 100% in what she's actually saying. Yeah, of course not. She knows you too well to know that. Like she's say, and she's saying she knows, and you can probably tell that Hetty knows that you know that she knows. Yeah. So, um, when last we met, there were a, there was a, people had a, a chilled out between mysteries session where nothing bad happened and everything was fine except for Hetty was attacked by uh, Bale and uh, well, not specifically by Bale but servants of Bale. Uh, we met Peter's dad and Peter's dad uh, revealed himself to be a thoroughly unpleasant person um, threatened Peter threatened everyone in the group and made it clear that uh, when he when he met Tabitha and Peter in a uh, in a in a bar when they were having a drink, that uh, if he didn't get out alive, that people that Peter knew and Tabitha would knew would uh, be in danger. Um, and he left 
letting them know that he had in fact still sent some people to go and attack Vera and Hetty. Um, Peter and Tabitha raced across town. At the same time, Evangeline had been at um, had actually been at Greyfriars uh, Kirkyard with Vera. Um, you were investigating the shapeshifter. Uh, the shapeshifter have given Vera a clue that this was the place that potentially they were to meet at some point. Um, Evangeline and Vera arrived there just as what looked to be Hetty was chased into the graveyard by a uh, a group of Bale's servants. Uh, the Hetty lookalike was attacked and fatally wounded, um, only for the group to then be saved by members of the Everbright Club. Um, Charlotte Glass, the leader, revealing themselves, revealing ourselves to all of you. Um, and uh, the shapeshifter who has been sort of tormenting Vera, but has Vera sort of come around to thinking Vera that uh, is potentially not a threat and was maybe scared, um, died in Vera's arms. Uh, Hetty was found and the group was reunited uh, with things to talk about, probably. Um, so since that meeting since that last session um we are going to move just probably i think a week or so later week or so later max i'm not being specific it's week or so later um you what what's what's happened with uh we'll start with peter peter how have you been since last session uh <laughs> what's peter been up to <laughs> Peter hasn't really done much. Mm. Um, he would have normally spent a lot of time at the Institute. He does the opposite and spends a lot of time at Evangeline. Um, he spends an unhealthy amount of time going for long, long runs, always generally avoiding possible groups of mind-controlled people <laughs> along his route now, um, mm -hmm. and will have generally been very very quiet and would have probably been avoidant of any attempts from Tabitha to talk to him about the traumatic trip to the pub they had yeah that's that's fair enough and uh, how would uh, Tabitha be taking Peter being very quiet like that um definitely would have made a couple of attempts to talk to Peter before I got the message <laughs> loud and clear and um i would have been spending my time um doing as much research about peter's father and also um Baal as i possibly could okay um what can i have an investigator mystery oh yeah you can <clears throat> uh, new dice hey, hey. <sighs> Six and a six, baby. These are the ones. <laughs> These are the dice. Wonderful. Uh, that makes 14. Okay, so, um, Mikhail, do you want to answer questions about Peter's dad, or would you like me to try and remember what you wrote, gave me in the wise? Um, what questions do you get to ask with a nine? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what questions work? are you asking, Tabitha? <laughs> what questions am I going to ask him? Uh, uh, what's this game? Thing. Um, you can probably style a couple of things there. Yeah. 
I don't have my. Um, you have um. What happened here? Happened. What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can hurt it? Where did it go? What was it going to do? And what is being concealed? Uh, if you want to jazz one of those, sort of what makes it. Um, so. Yeah. Also, I have got. I don't know. Does does investigate mystery have an advanced one? Because I did take. Um, advanced in sh in sharp. I don't know. I've um, I've clicked make two of the basic moves advanced, and then where do I where would I have written which ones I picked? Oh dear, <laughs> I don't I've ever know. I've, I've written mine on my um, hunter oh, no. move sheet, so I have protect someone and use magic as advanced moves. Okay, well let's. I'll figure that out another time. <laughs> let's go for the twelve, and you can figure that out later. It's been a while <laughs> since we recorded. It's been like a month. Uh, so, well, I I think I have an idea, but I'd like to know, is he a man or is he a um, monster? Investigate <laughs> a mystery. It's yeah. 12 plus, you get your advanced thing. Yeah, I rolled 14, but I um, I can't remember which ones I marked as investigate, so it doesn't matter. Um, so what type of creature is he? Yeah. Is he is he a man or is he a monster? Um, or something else. You, you, just like many Nazis of his time, he is most certainly a horrific monster that walks, that is in human form. Ah, he's a human monster. Yes, he's a human monster. Nothing um, from your studies imply that um, he was, in fact, himself a monster. No. Um, then I would like to um, uh, lean into what is being concealed here to uh, investigate what kind of uh, experiments he was running for the Nazis. Um, you, because you're using the thorn stuff, so you yes. would get more information there. Um, he was doing experiments on um, individuals to create more powerful soldiers, would have been the intent, mixing, using the occults. Um, but very much um, experiment, human experimentation. Um, they disposed of all of their test subjects um, through horrific means. And um, the documentation might suggest that they weren't successful and that everything was killed and destroyed. I see. So in terms of what's being hidden there, you could argue that you can tell that that wasn't the case. Yeah, but there's an, um, Danny would know, Danny could mm. elaborate more on this to know yeah. whether or not even he knows he was successful until a later point in time, I don't know. Um, well, I would say what you, what you get from your investigations is that there are, you know, there are accounts of um, these sort of atrocities that are being uh, performed by nazis uh through the through this uh, second world war and things um connected to the occult and similar to what uh, henrik anderson doing nowhere near as sort of they didn't advance as far as he ever did but whenever there was sort of records of uh, test subjects being sort of killed once they had served the purpose or something had failed there's lots of very detailed um descriptive like sort of lists of uh, numbers of people and lists of uh, descriptions of everything with when Graustein was 
um, raided and the operation was shut down, the information on a few on the test subjects that um, that Henrik Anderson was working with is very, very minimal compared to that of other ones, implying that something happened on the day the thing was shut down that meant that, firstly, Henrik Anderson was never taken into custody. Unlike other people in charge of that um, operation, he wasn't. Um, but also it implies from you reading between the lines, you're very good at finding out secrets now, um, that a number of test subjects were never accounted for. Do, do, do the records say if he had a son or not? Because I didn't know that answer. I didn't know if he wouldn't have had any record of having a son. I don't think he ever did, no. And if he did, he certainly didn't have a record of it in his operations. Um, you might even be able to see where they found like some limited notes that Henrik Anderson has taken uh, during his operations, during the um, experiments he was having. And you can perhaps tell where it's potentially talking about Peter. They talk about a test subject that's doing far better than others, but it never mentioned it by name never talks about it as with any sort of care it's his notes his personal notes and he's not mentioning peter by name so i um i don't get a proper sense of whether this is like peter's father truly in the biological sense or does he really look like peter or there were there were uh, yeah. yes yes you okay. from from knowing from seeing him you could tell that he looks a lot like so peter I, I just get the impression that he's a massive yeah, piece of work yeah. i this is so tantalizing to tabitha i think that um you know peter's her friend and now she's opened this chamber of secrets hopefully that's not uh trademarked and um <laughs> uh Oh my goodness, now she needs to know everything. But she'll try and be, be a good friend first. Um, say about a week after all this happens and you have this encounter with uh, Henrik Anderson, you're deep in your studies um, and you haven't left your rooms probably for, probably, you know, to eat and to clean, but then it's the dark room, back to the dark rooms to do your reading. Um, your time is interrupted. Your studies are interrupted. Who are they interrupted by, Jay? Knock, knock, knock. Um, do I know what Evangeline's knocking sounds like? <laughs> yes, I'm you do. It's probably, it's really... nobody's, nobody's home. <laughs> okay, come in. Oh, my dear. I have, I have, I have seen you barely uh, come out for air. Is everything okay? Yeah, that is uh, generally how I prefer it. As I inquire if you are delving deeper into your magics that you have been practicing. Um, yeah, that's uh, certainly been on my mind. Yes, and 
You were most proficient with summoning that creature when we were in the mirror world, my dear. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I've certainly improved there. Yes. And with that improvement, my dear, I would very much like for you to accompany me to somewhere. Um, oh, where? It does not require a hat. <laughs> well, <laughs> immediately more appealing. Um, I look at my books and stuff, and then I look at Evangeline. Okay. Okay. Is it a surprise or can I know in advance? You're going shopping. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Evangeline leads you out, Tabitha, um, into sort of across the city. You sort of think, there are shops here. Why are we going further into the city? <laughs> we, have, we have shops nearby, but Evangeline has a place in mind. Um, leads you to Princess Street. To another little back road to Princess Street. You last time you were here, you were with Peter, and and you walk actually walked past the pub that you and Peter encountered his father. Um, but Evangeline leads you further on, and leads you to a what looks like a small little a little quaint little music shop. The sign of the door says Gillespie's Music. It's very sort of uh, cozy on the inside. I think is a kind word to describe what Gillespie's music's like. Oh, lovely. Do we have an appointment? Yes, I have. I, we're here to collect an order. Please come with me. Okay. And I, and I, I think as you open the door, it's got that, that, twink, that quaint kind of like ding, ling, ling sound on the door as you kind of open and you can see that large open um, kind of like, um, what should we call it? Counter. Mm. And she kind of like just takes her gloves off, places it gently on top of it. Her kind of de hats herself. And waits there very patiently. And uh, sort of a, an elderly looking man comes out, uh, very smartly dressed. Tabitha, you can see there's um, along the sort of walls here, they're just, they're sort of um, racks of music books of all sorts of instruments. And then uh, along the top, there is just sort of, just sort of hanging, looks like hanging decorations of violins, all sort of decorating the, the top of the wall or placed there very delicately. And uh, some man comes out and he says, uh, Miss Lane Fox, were you needing some more strings? No, no, I, um, you should have an order for Belanger oh, that has yes. arrived. My apologies, Miss Lane Fox, of course, of course. Um, and he goes uh, into a back room and he comes back out with a very fine looking case and he places it in front on the desk and he opens it up and you say very fine violin on the inside. And she kind of like takes it out and you can watch it. She just like surveys it down, pulls a few little strength. Most beautiful piece. Um, I am so grateful that you were able to track me down another one. Well, uh, anything beautiful looks best in a pair. It'd be flatter, uh, but I will only be taking one. I, I... Might be... But might I trouble you to use one of your back rooms to test this? Of course, with my friend. What they're there for? Uh, 
please, please. And he leads you to a back room. Um, again, fairly snug, but you can sense that there's sort of some soundproofing in these rooms. Allow, allow good sound quality to be heard. Sounds kind of like windowless, like dim light, and she will close the door with Tabitha. I look really awkward. Um, and she will look at you and she will say, no, my dear, I, I must admit to some slight ulterior motives of our shopping trip. Oh, I could never have imagined such a thing. No, no, no. Um, but you see, this is probably one of the most important things I do. And she holds the violin. It's important to have mm. hobbies. I play the violin not because it is a hobby, my dear, but because of who I play it for. Okay. Immediately, my like demeanor changes because I actually really want to know <laughs> now what's going on. My, my husband, he, he loved to hear me play. And some of my happiest memories are of the two of us together. He bought me the violin that we lost that other place. And every morning I play. Do not be sorry, my dear, it's, it's trinket. Music, our love, our connection. That will endure. And as she does so, um, she will play like a little um, little note that will kind of, and as she does so, she will activate the weave as she has done before. And you will see, like, as it comes out, it'll start to kind of sputter like it has been before. And like when she was protecting Vera, it was these like shards of like glass and just hard. And you can see it starting to form that way, almost like cracks in reality of, of like shards of light. And as she kind of breathes into the sound and you can see this, this, this serene and calmness and glow kind of comes over her, the, the weave's almost sense of it equalizes and softens once more. And she kind of plays. It is a very sad song. So it kind of echoes in the space and it almost like, because it reverbs, you can, it, you're almost like in the music and in her feelings as she plays it for you. And when she stops, the silence is deafening in the room and the light effect begins to fade. Thank you. And I have to say, it's what keeps me as me. His love, his truth, his honesty. It's what keeps me as me. And... What I wish to ask you, Miss Thorne. Okay, right. Is as you as you stray to greater powers, as others have before you. What is it that's going to keep you as you? Possibly nothing. 
sweet girl just puts her hand on yours. That is not an acceptable answer. You are an amazing investigator, Miss Thorne. It is almost as like it. your love of knowledge compels you to uncover its mysteries. Can I implore you that this is a mystery you uncover? If, um, would I be allowed to ask you one question in return? You can ask, or... me, you can ask me as many questions as you like. Okay. Um, what happened to your husband? He died in the war. Just he worked for the RAF and he died protecting our country. It's wonderful that music is eternal in a way that our bodies are not. Yes, although Mr. Anderson does not agree. He told me actually that you were quite good and that he liked living with you. I was trying to be horrible. So. He gives you that kind of very rice like smile as you say that. Yeah, well, I have made us a tea reservation, but you did not. Mm. You did not wear a hat, so. Um... Oh, I can't possibly go to tea without a hat, Evangeline. How uncouth! I'm. There is a there there is a millinery just around the corner. Do you know what? Let's go and pick a hat, as long as it's black. You look very good in black, my dear. Thank Maybe you. a red rose on top. Um, <laughs> so you go to your hat shop, and while Tabitha is sort of non-committally searching through the hats, um, various hats that are on sale in the shop, uh, Evangeline, you're looking through as well, because, you know, Okay, as well, never have enough hats. That's a good, good uh, rule to live by. Um, you suddenly sense that somebody is standing next to you, and you hear the voice of Charlotte Glass speak to you and say, in a sort of slightly otherworldly sort of echo to it, she says, oh, "She's very like a mother, isn't she?" Yes. But there's something very much like her father. That's what's going to get her most into trouble. Or had no trouble getting into trouble herself. Miss Lane Fox. Yes. Wonderful to see you again. Just most lovely to hear you again. I I would say see you as a yes. euphemistic for our engagements at present. I apologize for this. It is difficult for me to find time to come up to Scotland these days. Um very busy, as you might understand. This is a suitable, but it is not ideal. I I was hoping that we might be able to talk. Um, I have been made aware that um, you have been, well, you had to deal with some dealing, had some dealings with uh, 
well, I know David Temple was was dead, but you had dealings with uh, his family, and and uh, well, I put two and two together, and assume you may know of our connections with the Temple family, uh, specifically yes. things that we may have that our people are supposing you may want or are interested in. Indeed. It is serendipitous that somebody so measured would have these sorts of things fall within their care. Well, I don't have all things. Miss Lane Fox, that is really a dream of ours, but not, not yet. Um, well, the thing is, I want us to be able to work together. I respect you greatly and the work that you do and the magic that you are able to harness. I respect it greatly. And I want to... Well, I want to be able to give you what you want. But there are... If I'm going to do that, I need a favour. Of course. Name your name your bargaining chip. We had word that there was something strange happening in uh, a small town in Yorkshire recently. We had tip-offs from a uh, local newspaper in that that area, and we had uh, I apologize for this intercepted a message to your offices um, that confirmed these uh, these stories. Um, the issue we're having is uh, normally we would send somebody to have a look around, uh, check it out and report back and then move on. But uh, we sent a junior member of the club, uh, Miss Pickett, to look into this town and well she hasn't been in touch um, and that's not like her and I also cannot get in touch with her through these means which makes me worry that something may have happened to Miss Pickett now while I are you are you sure, mate? I've I've been having one of my um, archivists study the meteorological effects happening, um, great oddities within Yorkshire recently in the recent months. Mm. Might that be something that is misconnecting your magics? Perhaps. Um, mm. I would I wouldn't like to think so, but perhaps that is the case. And we would send another member, but we are not. We're not equipped for something that's potentially threatening and you and your colleagues have proven to be very equipped for this sort of venture if it is dangerous i'm not saying it is but if it is now now, now miss glass i watched you dispatch those people in gray fires you are not helpless and these things are not beyond your abilities but if you ask and if you offer well, who would be? Who would I, as a kind, um, mere archivist, to say no? 
Of course, I, I wouldn't expect that everybody on your team would be happy to do this, so you can put it up to them that if you're able to go and find out what miss, happened to Miss Pickett, and of course find out what's happening in the town of Cranefield, then, well, I'll give you the stone. Um, our connections with the families? Well, they don't need to come up if you don't want to bring them up. Well, they do not have an anchor. Until they have one, it is best they do not know. Very well. In that case, uh, let your people know, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. What was the name of this little town in Yorkshire we must happen upon? Cranefield. Cranefield. Delightful. Welcome to the RPG Goblin, a podcast that makes exploring TTRPGs fun and easy for you. My goal is to be the best resource for exploring and learning new TTRPGs, no matter if you're a veteran player, have only played D&D, or you're just getting into the hobby. My name is Willow and I am the host of the RPG Goblin, and I am obsessed with TTRPGs to the point that I would talk about them so much that I drove my mom crazy, and she told me to start a podcast, so I did. On the RPG Goblin, I sit down with guests and we delve deep into TTRPGs like Pathfinder, Monster of the Week, and Wander Home, and we do the hard work of finding the games and breaking them down for you so that all you have to do is listen to an episode and find your new favorite game. Along with exploring games, we also discuss different TTRPG topics that help you improve your own games at home. So if you want to find your new favorite game or you just want to switch up from playing D&D, then listen to the RPG Goblin wherever you find your podcasts. Hello everybody, it's me, Danny, your keeper. I'm here to tell you that you're great, and thank you very much for listening to the Thorn Files podcast. If you are a fan of the show, a really good way to help us out would be to uh, give the show a rating or review on whatever you listen to the podcast on. And after that, share the episode with a friend. Let them know this great new podcast you've been listening to. And while you're at it, go listen to the RPG Goblin. Willow is a fantastic podcast host and really passionate about the TTRPG community. If you're interested in any games which aren't 5e, then she is the person you need to go and listen to. I recently finished recording an episode with her, which was a lot of fun, um, all about mystery, and I'm sure that'll be coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, so yes, go and give her a rating and a review as well, because, because she's brilliant. Um, if you want another way to get involved with the Thorn Files podcast, you can also find us on our social media accounts. We have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a Threads, we have a Blue Sky. We even have a Facebook page where we will share information about upcoming episodes and any specials we have planned for the future. But for now, let's get back to the mystery. So... Uh, does Tabitha buy a hat? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> a pretty low-key hat. Very good. So, you, Evangeline, you present the information to the rest of the team. 
how do people react? Or what does Evangeline actually present to the team? I will say that um, the Everbright Club has uh, presented us with some information. There is this town called Cranefield where people, things have gone missing, including one of their own. And they wish for us to have a look on their behalf. And in exchange, they will help us with what is going on right now. That has caused us no amount of malady. Why don't they investigate this themselves? They did, and they sent someone very junior, and she was obviously ill-equipped to fall the job. She has slacked off, not responded back, and they're and they are low on number, and they wish for us to play some risk ourselves before learning to help us. It is a bargaining chip, shall we say? She, she slacked off. A very large chip, rather than running into danger. Well, we will not know until we get there. Okay. Well, the more people who owe us favours, the better, I suppose. Yes, they were very helpful in the cemetery. Group that is able to hold a number might be helpful should battle lines be drawn once more. Definitely worth uh, reinforcing our working relationship with them. Um, uh, how are we all? And I, I believe you used a shield as well, Tabitha, that they had uh, procured from the temples. A shield? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was a segment of shield that you were very interested in in the archives of Temple Studios. They do have it. Oh, they have it. Okay. They have many wonderful things which we will find of interest. You they seem... will stare Mr. at Peter when I say that. You seem very quickly indoctrinated to their side, Evangeline. I have not to do a favour, and with that I'll get something in return. That's how these things work. They're so fucking wonderful. Why didn't you just go and work for them? Yeah. They did not ask me to work for them. Abigail did. And until recent events, I did not know they existed. Yeah. Right. Well. Um, Peter, how are you doing? What do you mean? Well, I, I know your ability to recover from harm is, is preternatural. I ran um, 20 miles today. Well, that's good. That's very good. Um, I run every day. I'm perfectly fit. Uh, it's it's remarkable, and it will remain remarkable to me. Um, your capabilities. Uh, I just I know that if I had taken the same damage that you did during our last excursion, um, I would still be convalescing in a hospital bed. Um, well, you are quite breakable and weak, so that would make sense. Compared to you, that is totally true, Peter. 
It is. Perhaps you should consider running more. Less time sitting and drinking tea, perhaps. I have I spent many years running. I consider those days behind me. I prefer to cycle. You can see more of the countryside that way. Um, you, I don't want this to seem condescending, but, but thank you. By the way, you did a remarkable job against that strange spidery beast. Um... You're welcome. Um, uh, I, I sometimes feel as though you are the a bastion standing in the direct path of um, misfortune for the rest of us. And um, we are all safer when you're around. I think we know that's not true. I have already lost count of the number of times. I think I might already have died were you not by our side, so. But if I wasn't by your side, your roommate wouldn't have almost died. There are many nasty things in this world, Peter. Um, you are not among them, as far as I'm concerned. She's fine. Has Peter seen Hetty since? No, hasn't had an encounter with Hetty yet. Don't know if you called it an encounter. She's very nice. Has uh, Has Peter been actively avoiding her, given that she's been staying in dual investigations, or has um... Peter? Or has Peter During been difficult avoiding... times? Peter lives at the institute through the last two weeks this is the first time you've seen him at the Institute. Interesting though, Evangeline hasn't been playing the violin at home until recently as well. <laughs> so there's a few things going on there. <laughs> but this would be the first time he's stepped into the Institute since everything happened. Um, Theory, think... my dear. Oh. Yes. Um, with everything that happened to Hetty, um, you can only imagine the worry you must be feeling. Yes. And um, I have at my disposal a small apartment in London, which, if it's something that you and I would be open to, I would be happy to lend until the dust over here is settled. London, uh, that's that's incredibly generous of you, uh, Evangeline. I will, I will think on that. Yes, please. Uh, Twenty-four hours, please. It'll take probably someone to you know settle it back in for inhabitants, but it is there if we need it. That wouldn't be safe. It wouldn't be safe. No. Um, would you mind elaborating? What makes you think it would not be safe? Because I know about it. And Peter, you hear in the back of your head. So do I. 
And so does he. Well, that settles that. Um, I was a little reluctant to um, send her away to London, so. Peter, first time back in the Institute, you're getting ready to go. Before you do, however, um, you see that there hasn't been much change about the Institute in many years. Um, it's a very old building and there's the old portraits and everything of the founders a few floors up and not much in terms of artwork. Um, but you do notice now that you're back in here um, that on the floor outside of Annabelle's office, there's a sort of a blank wall that faces her door and uh, what has been put up since you've been away um, have been, there are a few plaques now up on the wall, sort of fairly simple wooden plaques, little brass plate and uh, sort of embedded in them, screwed in. And you would fairly quickly realize that each one of these, there are the names of people who have died for thorn investigations and there have not been many while working. But you see John, John McDonald, and you see the names of the other members of thorn investigations that had been outside of Hetty's office. And you spot this and you see, actually you bump into Annabelle Thorne as she's sort of looking at this wall and she sees you and see her and she sort of looks at the wall and says, this doesn't mean anything. It's just the reminder of mistakes I've made. I'm sorry, Peter. I have, I I wanted to talk to you sooner, but I, I didn't also want to pry um, or seek you out. I didn't think that uh, you would appreciate that. You, you risked your life to save Tabitha. On once now. And I've been nothing but unpleasant to you. And I'm sorry. You don't deserve that. I've been made aware that I've not been uh, as kind as I used to be. And I wanted to. I'm glad I have a chance to see you before you go. Thank you. I'll I'll keep her safe. I don't. Everyone I I've lost everyone I love over the years, and this is the first place where I've felt like I have new roots. I can grow again and meet people. But somewhere along the way, you start to question if if it's the ground that you're trying to grow in or if maybe you're just some diseased plants destined to die amongst all of this. So you probably didn't want to hear that, but yeah. things are great. 
I feel like that as well. A lot of the time, I I see my my or my mother, uh, Tabitha's grandmother. Um, you know, she's she's with us, but she is fading every day, and less of her is here every day. And I only have Tabitha, and I and I just want to hold on to her as tightly as I can. But I. Well, she's like her mother, so she doesn't want that at all. So, when you get back, uh, and I don't want you to argue with me on this, Peter, um, I will want you to have dinner with us. That would be very, that would be nice, thank you. Look, those names on that wall... There will be others on that wall if we are not all careful. And we are up against some powerful people that the authorities in this country should have found by now and put a stop to. Quite right. Well, let's try to keep the numbers to a minimum then on this wall. Good. Just make sure you don't down, turn down help. Seek help. I'll say the same to you. Tabitha cares about you. She's been doing a lot of reading, and it's not the same text as she normally reads. What's she been reading? Military reports, mostly. Oh. Wonderful. Well, at least you won't be the only one in the dark still. And you set off on your journey to Yorkshire, the lovely, lovely Yorkshire, um, in the van, with uh, Vera's van and in your uh, little sidecar as well. Um, anything anything worth mentioning on the journey? There is. I would, um, I would, I'm very much wanting to be in the truck with Vera. I've got I can't possibly drive myself this time. And I would ask if Mr. Anderson would accompany Miss Thorne in my vehicle um, to make sure it is there for when we need it, please. It's okay. really funny because... I can't drive. Because the first thing Peter would have done is he would have really uncomfortably not got in the van with Vera for the first time and would have gone to sit in the car. And I'd imagine Tabitha comes to the car and finds Peter sat in the passenger seat and there's an awkward moment of... Cool. Yeah, I would I would have tried to get into the van with Vera as well like, every time <laughs> and somebody is always there first. Somebody's um, pulling rank. Sorry Peter I can't drive. Can you drive? I've driven. I drove in there my youth. Right well pre-warmed my seat for me thank you. Yeah, oddly, in my youth, this is the side I drove on. Um, well, that's not how we do it here in Scotland. And then sit on the other side. In, just out of interest, is this a manual? Is it? Is it automatic? Are automatics invented? I don't think automatic automatic no. automatics no, no. exist. It's definitely a manual. Really manual but like okay. very basic manual. Yeah. I don't think they had the same amount of. Yeah, be, be glad this is the car you've had to you've had to crank to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
you're on your journey. Um, anything anyone does in the journey that they would like to, any last bits and pieces before we get to Cranefield? I think I just want to be really cool with Peter, like not cool as in, um, not like standoffish, but like, I just want to act normal as, as best as I can <laughs> do that. I try not to bring up anything uh, magic related or like, definitely no Nazi talk um but I don't have very many hobbies outside of these things and so I say stuff like mm, uh what what music is good and stuff like that just really uncomfortable <laughs> really uncomfortable small talk for however many yeah. hours the drive is I'd manage as good many as many hours as many hours <laughs> to, to Yorkshire um at some point on the way down with Tabitha probably at a break or something um peter would just very out of the blue for all of it just kind of stop you and look at you and just say if you see my father again keep away from him if you have a chance to run run if he's dangerous keep away from him that's all i need to tell you okay as long as you do the same If I could kill, if I could end the evil, mm. this evil that has killed so many before and caused so much pain and destruction in the world, and it would cost the lives of some innocents, is it worth it to end something so big and evil? Um, no. Because we let him get away last time. And he threatened Hetty and he still tried to kill her. Which tells me we can never trust what he says. That seems true, yeah. He's... Then the alternative is if you see my father again, the two of us should kill him. Okay, yes, I like that one. That sounds good. We should find a moment to talk to Evangeline then, because if the three of us were prepared, perhaps we would be able to stop him. Tabitha. We should tell Vera as well. We should, but you need to you need to start recognizing her strengths because she has many, and you are very rude sometimes to her. I think Vera probably understands more of what my father is capable of and done, has done than any of us. She understands a lot more than most of us. Yes, but we. If you don't plan on running, then we must all be prepared to fight and be prepared that innocence will die. Because he will always kill the innocents. Okay. Anyhow, we should get back to talking about Bark. Bark? You wanted to know more about music. Oh, Bach, right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm more of a um, Chopin. No, I don't care about music, Peter. Can we talk about <laughs> can we talk about um, occult rights or something? And uh, yeah, we, we uh, the journey is smooth. Yes, Evangeline. She's going to tell Vera stuff she didn't tell everybody else. Um, she will say, 
the I was not forthright with all the information I have procured from the Everbright Club, Miss Bright. They are in possession of something I hid before, and everyone seems to be looking for. When you say everybody, Dale, Peter, Woden. And by us fulfilling this favor for them, they will be giving us this object? They, they will be giving me the stone to hide again. Right. It's a very powerful relic. And before we dine with them and take them up upon this offer, I actually wish to ask you for your help. I use the occult, I use the channels of which I had grown from the wall, but that has only led to more destruction. You are one of the most ingenious women I have worked with in my times. And I want you to help me find a way to destroy it. If you're quite certain that that is what's best for it. It weighs around my neck more than a stone does, like an anchor of guilt. Hiding it again and letting its destruction be allowed to persist. I would much rather the risks of destroying it. Very well. Um... Speaking of keeping information from our good friend, Peter, this, it's unusual inside a team to have to partition information. Yes, but it would seem his connections with Vale, as he has alluded, are not as tight as they once were. No one was aware of my apartment before now. I have not even Mr. Anderson. And for him to make that comment has alerted my suspicions. It could be that he doesn't know the exact location of it, just that you have an apartment in London. Um, is it in your name, for instance? If, if one knew that there was an apartment owned by an Evangeline Lane Fox, would they be able to find it? No. They would not. For it's not within my it's within my name, but not within my name. Well, um obviously I expressed total disinterest in front of Peter, but uh, I am seriously considering taking up on your offer. Thank you. And perhaps the favor we may ask of the Everbright Club is that they do provide some levels of enchantment 
wherever you wish for Hetty to be. Yes, I can't just, I can't send her away to be in, on the other side of the country with nobody that she knows uh, for, for an unknown length of time. I don't think that's going to fly. Perhaps a week. Unless things are particularly dire. So we'll see. It is an, op- it is an option we can, we can weigh on. Um, how are Peter and Tabitha doing in your magical opinion? Tabitha is extremely astute with her abilities. She is progressing very much so from from the first time I came upon her using her, her abilities to now. It is almost miraculous. But I am worried. As power grows, if you are not careful, it overcomes you. And thus is my exact reflection upon Peter. He's getting extremely powerful, but he, I don't know how long his anchor will keep his power in check for him. Are there ways in which we might help his, him, him to be grounded, to keep him tethered to, to the rest of us, to reality, to mortals? I am not the kind of person who would pry in his emotional affairs, though. I do not pretend to know much further of them, but whatever it is that holds him human, just reinforcing that. Same for Tabitha. Well, I fear my efforts with Peter have gone largely um, unresponded to. I will continue doing what I can, but yes, he's a difficult man to read. When you like to see us, I would. That is to be expected. As your drive continues, and you have been driving for a few hours. Um, you eventually sort of crest over a, a hill and before you, you can see the the rolling hills of the Yorkshire countryside and ahead, fairly certain, you can see the town of Cranefield. It's a very quaint little town, sort of pi- very, very picturesque. Um, what you might imagine people think of when they say a nice little English town. Um, you see off... So this is where they have this sort of main road, which comes off from the road you're driving on just now. Uh, there looks like to be shops. There looks to be sort of old worldly looking buildings that um, are all being repurposed for other things um, as years have gone on. Um, and the town does extend out in different directions. You can see there's a large sort of wood in one uh, sort of in the distance beyond the town. Uh, you can see there's a sort of a large farm. You can see there's a little little church. Uh, nearby, so about the crest of where this wood is, and you sort of drive past. Uh, you sort of come round. You drive past uh, some of this wood. You can see the church, but more clearly, you can see there's a a river as well. 
runs through uh, Cranefield, sort of cutting off the the church and what looks like to be like a sort of slightly larger manor house off in the distance as well. Um, you imagine on a postcard, it looks very, very nice. And you're driving all these sort of little windy roads um, and the cam of your drive is suddenly cut off by the revving of a very loud engine. And you hear the honking of a horn as a sort of a bright yellow car is behind uh, the small car with uh, Peter and Tabitha in it as a sort of honking trying to overtake over and over again. Um, and eventually... The minute there's a slightly wider part in the road, you see the car sort of veers dangerously out to the side and cuts off both of you and drives past the van, honking the horn loudly. You can hear laughing from the car as the car veers back into the road again, almost running both of you off and eventually disappears into the town of Cranefield. A bit further on. You reach the registration on that van. Sorry, suppose the registration upon yeah, this the van. registration. Did I, registration did on, I, did, on the car? Did I? Yeah. Did I note down its registration? Yes. Uh, yeah, you absolutely. Oh, let's say you can note it down. Vera, you're you're in on cars. Uh, this is a, a 1946 Triumph 1800 Roadster. It's a it's a very flashy car. What a model! It's gorgeous. <laughs> and. Yes, Evangeline, you take down the, the license and you reach the town of Cranefield. Now, as a um, as we're starting a new mystery, if there's any roles people need to make at the start of your mystery. I got a 10 on my next dot, so I will have three dots to connect to this mystery. Wonderful. And Vera? Uh, I rolled a 9 plus 3 for 12 on the one with the plan. Wonderful. So, so you I get rolled 2. Brilliant. Fantastic for both of you. You arrive in the town of Cranefield and you find parking. It's a bit, bit tricky to find parking here. But you, uh, as your team move, uh, the um, what's the team move called again? It's called Home Away From Home. You find a, a pleasant place to stay uh, very quickly. Uh, as you arrive in town, there's an oldie-woldie-looking pub, um, pub and hotel uh, called the Horse and Rider. And uh, you can pull the van in here. There's enough space around the back for you to pull the van in. And uh, welcome to the town of Cranefield. It's very pleasant. It doesn't look too busy. It looks like one of these towns that hasn't been touched by the outside world too much. You know, the nearest train station is 30 minutes away. So you are... You are sort of stuck in the countryside here. Sorry, did you say what sort of time have we arrived? Um, I'd say it's probably late afternoon. Okay, um, it's quite the drive. Mm, quite a drive, yes. Right. Let's find this Miss Pickett. Yes, should we secure rooms in the in the pub? Good idea. Yeah. Go in. It's uh, late afternoon. Um, people are starting to come in and have drinks. It looks like there's a, the local the local fair come in here and uh, have the um, afternoon. There might not be that many other pubs, if there are any other pubs in this town. Um, but it looks popular, if, if there aren't any. Um, I asked Evangeline if she got a description of Miss Pickett. It was Miss Pickett, right? Miss Pickett, yes. Yeah. It is Miss Pickett. 
Do I have a description of her and her last known location where she was sent towards? Just that she came to Cranefield and that she had been in touch, but then hasn't been in touch for a while. But no description of her. Oh. I look at Evangeline. <laughs> but I hold my tongue and I just look for a woman. I'm Any just going and Peter will go, well, that just seems a bit basic, Evangeline. Why wouldn't you ask what she looks like? I think it's pretty obvious. She gestures to her very well. And she's she's gone with this kind of just like monochromatic black and white polka dot uh, kind of number with the kind of the ruffled, kind of big ruffled blouse shirt. A very, very like stylized over pointed uh, black hat with like a, like a netting twill across the top, big white rose in it. And she gestures to her attire. Like, Does, will she be dressed a club like a... Of- Will she be dressed like a Dalmatian attending a funeral as well? <laughs> she was she was she was recent admitted to the club, so I don't know what level her fashion sense and style had evolved to. Do all the members of the Everbright Club dress like you? They are women of style. I look at Peter again. I mean, she should have she should have joined them. <laughs> Well, this is interesting. We need to maybe they've all fashioned their attires after different animals, members of the dog or animal kingdom attending funerals. Anybody in here wearing um, leopard print? Yeah. <laughs> is anyone in this room Jewel look leopard. like they have too much money than sense? Um, at the moment, no. You don't see uh, there are a few people you you spot in here. Uh, some people look more wealthy than others. Um, you see one of the bartenders at the in the pub. Uh, there's a few, there's a few people working here. Um, uh, a young woman working there looks uh, very, very stylish, but um, I think probably Evangeline notices because this is Evangeline's whole thing. Stylish, but doesn't have the wealth to really back up her style as much um, as maybe Evangeline is able to. You notice that there are a few interesting characters in here. You notice that there's a um, probably the most wealthy-looking people in here. There are a couple of uh, young men that are sat at the pub. You notice them because they are currently trying to trying to chat up this uh, this young woman, and she's not particularly interested at all. And there's a man in the in the corner, surrounded by a few other few other frail gold chatting and he looked he's sort of wearing tweed and looks very uh sort of gentry looking but uh can't see anybody else look that looks like evangeline and this is the only establishment where one stay and i would ask when we're booking in have um has a miss pickett been been staying here um the man behind the bar he says uh he turns to the um the woman who says Yep, she did. Uh, did that Miss Pickett? She did. She, she ever? Did she ever check out? And uh, she looks at him and says, "Um, not that I'm aware of. I haven't seen her around though." And he, uh, and he goes, oh, 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 and he gets out a book and he says, "All right, yep, that says here, uh, Miss Pickett. She's uh paid for a couple of weeks, but she is uh, no, I haven't seen her around. She said she was one of the on one of those walking holidays." Yes. When did she check in? Oh, let's move, uh, I mean, only uh, uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and she a walking holiday, you say? 
Is there any particular places where she would want to walk towards? Ah, oh, well, we have plenty of nice places in, in the area. We have, uh, you go up by Gunpowder Farm. There's a lovely forest in there, Pix- Pixie Forest. Got some caves in there. If you're going on a walking holiday, it might be a nice nice place to go. Um, we have a lovely lake and river. People like walking by the river. I don't know why people go on, on walking holidays. What, what sort of holiday do you prefer? The uh, bar tenders beside him says, um, Teddy go on holiday? How old freeze over before Teddy goes on holiday? Is this your holiday? And she will just very, very warmly, very with a, with a lovely smile towards the establishment. I will. It uh, it suits me. You don't need any further excitement then. This is um, as good as it gets. Ah, well, gets pretty good here. Uh, anything in particular happened over the last couple of weeks or month or so? Ah, well, you know, I mean, he sort of looks around and goes. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be spreading any rumors now. It's not good for for local um, local news or or you know, what's that word? Uh, they use Sheila and Sheila says um, tourism. Teddy says no, not good for tourism. Um, what was that uh, doctor? Doctor Burrows. He died, didn't he? he found Did found he? dead outside the church, wasn't he? Dead outside the church. A, a, uh, an accident. And he looks around and he says, ah, well, probably not, no. <laughs> he sort of, uh, she says, Teddy, you really stop, need to stop making jokes about it. It wasn't pleasant. Um, and I wasn't there, but it didn't sound particularly nice for those who, who were. And uh, he, he says, no, no, no. Um, uh, you know, he was one of his dentists in town, but he was a bit, bit big for his boots. And I always say, should have quit while he was dead. And she says, oh, Teddy, that's, um, and she comes around the bar and says, Dr. Burroughs was uh, found without his head. Um, no one knows why. And we we have been told not to spread too many rumors about it, uh, Teddy, and especially make jokes because you, he came and drank in here quite a lot and untasteless untaste, uh, to, to make jokes about it. And then he goes, oh, well. He didn't pay his tab, so. Wow, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Um, would he normally drink with the people in here? Ah, oh, well, you know, he was, uh, he drank with quite a few people. Uh, he, uh, and um, the two young lads at the bar uh, call up and says, yeah, I love to drink, Mr. B- uh, Dr. Burroughs. Drank with anybody, didn't he? And he's like, yeah, yeah, as, uh, as long as you can have a drink. This is the important thing. Ah, a bit of a lush. Well, uh, Teddy goes, well, you know, you you wanted to be bigger than he was, and I don't think he necessarily liked being here. Well, I can't imagine why. Town seems positively charming. And, uh, is, well, well, you want in rooms? Yes, please. Uh, well, we've got a few, we've got a couple free, um, if that suits you. Yes, Sheila, can you you take the bags up, bags upstairs? Yes, uh, Teddy, I absolutely can. And she goes, takes the bags up the stairs. Um, 
as she does, she sort of you, she leads you through the bar. She takes somebody one of somebody's bag, whatever. If anyone has a bag, she takes a bag, uh, the closest one. And uh, she she talks. She sort of looks at a few people as she's walking through. There's a um, they said there's a yeah, there's a sort of group of people all drinking in the corner all together. There's a young woman sitting at the bar on her own. Um, is they all sort of cat they all make eyes of Sheila as Sheila walks past us at this glancing she's like oh sorry sorry and um she has a she makes eye contact with the so it's like the older man with with the tweed and dress very nicely um before she leads off a flight says well ah, just up here and it's quite a narrow little staircase and she's of the suitcase bangs on the walls and whatnot and then uh, she leads up to a little second floor where there are uh four rooms currently um there is a uh, yeah, it's four rooms currently. Two of them look like they might be occupied, and there's two free. And she leads you into this. She puts the are... suitcase on. And you're in uh, two and three. And do you have two other guests here? Oh, well, Miss um, Pickett being one. And uh, I think Did she, she had... look to any of the room? Did she look to any room where she says Miss Pickett's name? Well, she actually gestures Miss Pickett and she points at one. And um, we've or we have another guest in room four as well. Lovely. Thank you very much, my dear. No uh, problem. If you want any sort of breakfast or anything, let us know. We can we can provide um, just in advance so Teddy doesn't eat it all himself. And she smiles and yes. Is your mum is your marmalade shredded? Pardon. Is your marmalade shredded? Oh, um, you know, I, I hadn't I hadn't checked if there was uh, if marmalade or shredded. I'll have to I'll have to double check, but I will let You'd you know. You'd be so kind. I, I, I think we would all be wanting breakfast though. Thank you very much. Of course. Of course. And she heads back downstairs. Did anybody else notice the, the eye contact as we came up? She did seem to be looking at that um well dressed fellow downstairs. There was some pointed looks. It all looked a bit strange. There was an unaccompanied woman sitting at the bar as well, which is unusual. Well, that sounds horrifying, Peter. <laughs> I did wonder if she needed some assistance, but it seemed like she shrugged off her unwanted attention. More provincial places like this, I'd expect them to be less accepting of unaccompanied women coming here for walking holidays and other activities. I suppose women got a lot more freedoms here during the war. It is 1952, Peter. We, we can walk on our own. Even in picturesque locations. Apparently so. Um, are we to split up and interrogate that would be the wrong word. Speak with question. everyone in the bar. Question. Um, I think we should break into Miss Pickett's room. Immediately? Yes. Well, well, whilst you do that, I will entertain our bar. Make sure that no one else steps you. I do. Uh, Peter? When you say entertain, what do you mean, eventually? <laughs> 
I mean, sit down there, watch, and keep them busy should any of them wish to try and Thank goodness. discover you I, breaking and entering. I thought you were planning on getting out your violin because provincial towns might not take to you playing your violin in every establishment to entertain them all, the same as the big cities of Scotland. Actually, I, I, you know what? I, I think that playing the violin is actually probably quite a good idea. A town like this, this is almost certainly the only place of entertainment going. Cranefield can't have much in the way of entertainment, so I imagine some live music actually probably wouldn't go amiss. Maybe not jumping straight into it, you know, perhaps feeling out the room first, but I think you might be surprised, Peter. And also, should you uh, fail in your stealth in the shadows attempt to break into Miss Pickett's room, it'll act as a lovely cover for you. Driven mad by your violin playing, we accidentally went through the wrong door. This is a great idea. Mm -hmm.